You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into their life journey, not just what they've recently accomplished or their most shiny accomplishments, but what navigated them getting to where they are today. Ups, downs, twists, turns, doubts, fears, all of it. Because I feel so often in life we are unknowingly chasing the feelings of being fulfilled, enough, worthy, successful, lovable. And it will feel like once I do this, once I have this much money, once I have this partner, once I have this job, then I will feel it. And so often we end up chasing these feelings. And even once we get everything we want, you can still then be putting it somewhere else to chase. And so I feel it is up to us to claim our worth, our value, our success, our enoughness, our fulfillment right now. And you can do that every day. And sometimes we got to do it every moment of the day. And you can do those things on your way to dreaming your dreams and living your biggest life. On today's episode, I am so excited to have a dear friend, Terry Cole, someone who, when I met years ago, was like, oh my gosh, you like me? You want to be my friend? Like, because I was just like, this woman is it. <laughs> she is a licensed psychotherapist and global relationship and empowerment expert, and her first book, Boundary Boss, is about to come out or is out now, depending when you're listening to this, you can pre-order it or go ahead and order it right now. Make sure to check it out. Boundary Boss, like honestly, boundaries seem like such a buzzword and thing to talk about these days, but Terry's been talking about it forever. And we get into it in the podcast. How she got on the path to be a psychotherapist, why boundaries became her thing and relationships. So um, let's let's just get into the episode. Oh, brief, brief, brief. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe and leave a review. And if you leave a review, screenshot it and send it to me at podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I'll send you a little gift from my pod product line because reviews matter. Thank you. Here we go. All right, so I love to start with asking people like what life was like for them growing up, especially in high school ages where I feel like we can start to feel that pressure of like what am I going to do with the rest of my life and either it's like I should do this or you maybe had this big dream for yourself. I don't know that I was like the normal person in high school. I was pretty I was a pretty optimistic, happy, engaged person. And in high school I was most interested in the things I was doing, don't judge me because I'm not ashamed, but I was a cheerleader all of my life. That definitely kept me from being a heroin addict, I think. I mean, I, I drank alcoholically in high school for sure, but I think that having somewhere to go, because it was a, t a rough time in my, my family. My family was kind of falling apart. My parents ended up getting divorced right as I was going into high school. I'm the youngest of four. Uh, I have three older sisters, so I'm the youngest. Um. So for me, I wasn't so worried about what I was going to be, sort of, or what was I going to become. I didn't have that kind of pressure. I was, even though it was stressful at home, 
I was pretty happy in life. And, you know, honestly, it was April of my senior year and I knew I wanted to go to college, but I, I was, the, I would have been the first one in my immediate family to do so. I mean, my, my, my dad did, my mom did, and then she dropped out when she got pregnant. Anyway, um, and April, I still had not applied to any colleges for September. And one of the, I'll never forget him. One of the, my, um, what were they called? Guidance counselors. He wasn't even mine. My guy was the worst, but this guy, Mr. Charity was very nice. And he's like, Hey, Cole, where are you going to college? I was like, um, I don't know. He's like, like, you don't know you're torn or you don't know you haven't applied. I'm like that one. He was like, uh, uh, come in my office, please. And right then and there, he was like, here are three places. Do you have someone who will pay for it? I said, I do. Cause my father would. And he's like, here are three places. We're getting applications. We're applying. Like he completely helped me so much. And I ended up going to one of those schools. <laughs> but it, at that point, then you don't know, like, what you did you just pick like a general sort of major or like yeah marketing you know marketing and communication I think. yeah communications is definitely <laughs> <laughs> means I literally have no idea my my criteria was could I cheer and how many sports so I could cheer in the another third thing that made me go to this school I went to Long Island University CW Post Campus is that it was on the old post estate and it was absolutely the most stunning campus with like Tudor homes as like where you go in for your classes. I was like, I don't even know where I am, but yes, please. So yeah, that was my college experience. <laughs> what do you think was it that had you wait that long? Like, was it just not a discussion? I mean, I'm guessing you said your home life, your parents were working through divorce, so maybe they weren't so focused on it. And had your older sisters not gone, so they weren't like, there wasn't that exactly. pressure of, what are you going to do when you graduate? Where are you going to go? Yeah, They were just in their own stuff. And then, yeah, like friends and stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, again, it was also a different time. Keep in mind, I graduated high school in 1982, right? 82? No, 78? Yeah, 1982. God, that's a long time ago. And so it, it, there wasn't the same um, micromanaging or, or, or just appropriate parenting, depending on how you look at it. Right. It, it depends on what, what we're talking about, but it wasn't like that. My friends were all also a bit on their own, you know, applying to state schools or going to whatever. So when I got in, I was so psyched. Cause I was like, what am I going to do if I don't? Because I knew I was destined to do something kind of awesome in my life. I really did, even though <laughs> there was really no evidence of anything I had planned that was going to make that work out that way. So yeah, it was really just lack of um, concentration on it. It also goes, you know, I feel like, you know, the kindness of strangers has been a big part of my winning formula in life, especially in my younger life. And it's not to say my my parents didn't do a good job. And I mean, it wasn't like a crazy chaotic household. It wasn't even like that. It's just about the time I was that age I think everyone was just like, we're good. And because I wasn't in trouble, of all of my sisters, I was the least one. My mother was like, I trust you. I was like, um, I'm 17 and look 26. And I've been going to clubs since I'm 14. You definitely shouldn't trust me. I'm like, based on what? Based on what you wish is true? <laughs> yeah. I mean, not that I don't feel like kids need to go to college or that parents need to be pressuring that. Yeah, I was just wondering because I, but I was the type that was like, 
is to like get me out of this house, get me out of this city. So I was definitely thinking of where am I going? <laughs> get me out. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and so then when you got to college or what did you, yeah, you went for marketing communications. Was there a point that you started to like grow more into, oh, I want to do this? Or what did you do after college? It's funny. I knew somewhere down deep, I knew that it didn't, for me, it didn't matter that much what I, what I studied. I knew I, I didn't even know if I even knew what marketing was per se. I just knew that I needed four years to grow up and that I needed to be more of an adult. And I, my parents were um, present enough to, you know, I was very close to my mother. I still am actually, she's 83. Um, but they were there. Like my, my father was very dutiful in respect to um, finances so I knew that if I wanted to go, like he said, you don't have to work, you know, and he didn't, we were not wealthy by any means, but he was saying, get good grades. I knew it was expected of me is my point. It wasn't hard to get good grades with minimal effort. That's the truth. Not that I was a genius. I wasn't in high. I was not taking physics or anything. It was like, I'm taking marketing, right? And it's, it's not that hard. So my parents, there was a structure around this growing up period and then I always knew I would do something that whatever I was passionate about, because I was very good with it, like being in the moment of like being very excited about whatever. I had very close friends. I had the same friends I've had since Nixon was in office, I like to say, but it's friggin' true. But that my senior year happened in my life, my senior year of college, where I had gotten into therapy that year for the first time, like private therapy. Um, and the the therapist says to me, what you're describing, your behavior, basically, is alcoholic behavior. And I was like, uh, hi, so is everybody. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> How am I different than ever? I was like, well, that's true. Everyone I know is an alcoholic. She's like, okay, well, I don't care. because." And I was seeing her for a year already when she brought this up. So seeing her my junior year. And she said, well, I'm just saying, though, if you don't seek help, if you don't consider stopping drinking, then I will terminate our work together because we're not going to be able to actually get to anything we need to get to if you don't stop. And I was like, damn, is Bev breaking up with me? Like, can, can she even do that? Is that even allowed for her to like ditch me because of this? And so I went to, she said, you have to at least go to one 12 step AA meeting to, to learn something. I want you to learn something about this behavior and whatever. I said, okay. So, you know, I'm pretty coachable. I was like, I'll go. Syosset, Long Island. I went to a church, you know, church basement. It's very, very stereotypical. And, you know, it was the 80s. So you can imagine what I look like. I don't know if you can't imagine. Oh, Trisha, I know you can't imagine. The biggest hair in the world with my huge hoop earrings and my everything with the neon and the, you know, you know what we were wearing? The stirrup pants, the double shoulder pads. So, and mine were removable. I would put shoulder pads in literally a tank top if I could, like it was so bad. But anyway, <laughs> so I go in and, you know, I'm smoking cigarettes because everyone was at the time. I know young people, that's hard to believe, but everybody smoked. So I was sitting by the door smoking my Parliament 100s considerately in my mind. I also thought, I don't know, is this a cult? Like, what's the deal with this 12-step thing? I don't know anything about it. And so this similarly shellacked, woman about 10 years older or 12 years older than me came over and she's like, Oh, are you new? And I was like, yes, I guess. And she was like, Oh, you know, what brings you here? And I said, well, 
honestly, my therapist gave me an assignment and I'm here because I kind of have to be. She thinks that I'm an alcoholic. And she was like, oh, okay, well, welcome. And I'm glad you're here. Here's the tea, here's the coffee, whatever. And then I said, just to be polite, because I don't even know the protocol or what I'm supposed to be doing. I was like, so what brings you here? And she said, um, I killed a six-year-old boy in a drunk driving accident. Oh, well, that's terrible. Like, imagine that I'm there thinking this is like a box I'm going to check. And this angel just tells me this truthful thing that absolutely changed my life. So I was like, I'm so sorry, that sucks. I'm, I'm sure I said something not great because I didn't know what to say. And the whole rest of that meeting, I'm sitting there and I'm holding back tears. Like I'm thinking, how many times could that have been me? How many times in my youth? Because we all did. It doesn't make it okay. But there wasn't like people weren't that against drunk driving, trust me. Um, and I just had this this awakening of like, it could have been me so many times. I left, got into the car, my car in the parking lot, and I just started, I mean, I was bawling my face off. And I turned on the radio and Whitney Houston's The Greatest Love of All comes on. I swear to God, this is true story. So I'm crying even more like, wow, this is about self-love. This is about don't self-destruct. But the gratitude that I experienced for her story, not being my life sentence was enough to have me stop drinking. And I did. And I was a senior in college. I had three months left of my senior year, keeping in mind, I was a huge drinker prior to that. I'd been drinking every night for months and months and months and months and months. And I don't just mean drinking, I mean getting drunk because this is what people do in college. But this is what alcohol alcoholics do better than most when they're in college, right? Because you're like, oh my God, everyone's doing it. How amazing. So yeah, that changed my life. So I got sober when I was 21, I guess, maybe. And what had you start therapy in the first place? Because especially, I mean, that's big for anyone to do in their early 20s or teens. But um, especially back then, I make up like people didn't really even talk about therapy. Yeah, I would. I was very... Um, happy like i said like generally in my life like i would my personality has kind of always been the same pretty much upbeat and there was a, a something happened in my school my junior year where the oh it was like huge snowstorms so school was canceled for like 3 weeks but i but we were still on campus or something happened where i was left with a lot of time on my hands and i started for the first time in my life feeling depressed not feeling the way I would normally just wake up and be like, hello, life, like just so can't wait to go. And I started not feeling that way and feeling feelings of insecurity, just things that, of course, I had them down deep, but I was, I had a lot of forward motion. I did a lot of things to avoid besides and drinking, feeling the way that I didn't want to feel just like many of us do these adaptive functionings. I call them now as a therapist for all these years. And so that spurred me to get into therapy. And the, the whole ironic thing of that is that the therapist, the first therapist I saw, the on-campus therapist, like abruptly died after our third session. I was still not deterred, but I was like, that's sad, Barbara. Bye. I didn't even know you, but okay. And then the next 
person. So I, the therapist I saw who literally changed the course of my life was actually a student. She had been a prima ballerina in the New York City Ballet. And she had come to this later in life. And she was a student. And she was so good and so not afraid to just say what, say what she thought it was. And I always credit her for really changing my life, you know, helping me change the course of my life. Yeah. And yeah, so it sounds like that snowstorm, it's like, even though you had all these feelings and struggles before, then you can just like, well, I got class, cheering, going to work, friends, like all of these stuff that we can just keep distracting ourselves with, which is probably why like last year with the lockdown so much came to the surface because there's less to run away to just keep ourselves busy. I'll deal with that later. I'll, or I don't need to deal with it. I'm just going to keep on pushing it away, pushing it away. Yep. It's so true. I mean, I've, I've heard from so many people during the lockdown how you just, the universe sort of hit the, the pause button for us. And there's only so long that you can do those things where the chickens will come home to roost no matter what. They do eventually. But I think for a lot of people, they came home sooner than later. And the people who have dealt with them and been like, okay, you know what? I want to change my life. Or I don't like the way I was living where I was on a treadmill that was unnecessary. But what was the secondary gain from being that busy? Oh, I got to avoid handling my problems or having hard conversations or whatever. Yeah. So then, yeah. So after that meeting and you do decide to stop drinking and change your life, did that, how did that shift like your entire life? You know, like, yeah, if you were how you had been functioning and if you did then see like, oh, I was an alcoholic then yeah, like what changed for you? And- you know, everything changed. And, and the thing is, it's interesting, you know, it's, I don't, it's not that I don't identify with having had no control over my alcohol consumption, but I feel like there's so many varied experiences in that. Like there's circum, because after being a therapist for 25 years, there's like people who will drink alcoholically because of their circumstances like, you know, they're in the middle of a divorce. And so they're using it as a crutch and then the divorce, they get through it, but they don't continue on that path. So there's lots of different variations, let's say on this. But for me, I was absolutely eyes wide open for the first time in my adult life. And that was exciting, scary, interesting, you know, having sex for the first time sober, almost the first time sober, like, there there were all of these firsts where I was like, wow, the life is even sort of more amazing than I thought it was being wide awake because you also don't have all of these, uh, like, you know, you ever hear of like reference pain where like you have a pain, but then it feels like it's in, in another part of your body. I feel like when you are doing things that are dysfunctional and in my life, that kind of drinking, it would create like reference pain, meaning these distractions of like an issue with my boyfriend that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been drinking, right? If I hadn't been drunk, I wouldn't have had that conversation or done that messed up thing. So you're always like talking about something that isn't like the actual thing, right? You're talking about the thing that was created from the thing, but you need to be talking about the thing or handling the thing, which for me was numbing my feelings with a substance. When I stopped numbing my feelings with a substance and then really dove into therapy, I started unpacking what I now refer to as, you know, all the shit in your basement, which is your unconscious mind. 
and looking at experiences and remembering things and understanding your your family system and what you learned about effective communication and boundaries and codependency and all of those things growing up and realizing that doing that isn't blaming like your parents. You know, we all feel so protective, like no matter what a good job or a shit job they did, like whatever. It's like, we don't want to be like, it happened so long ago. Why am I so focusing on that? I should be over it. Like there's all of these lies we tell ourselves to not deal with the fact that, sorry, most of us had some messed up things happen in our, in our childhoods that deserve to be honored, processed, and integrated into the tapestry of our beautiful, unique lives. But if we continue to deny them, then we can't honor and integrate them, you know? Yeah. So what, did you then become inspired that early on to be a therapist also? I feel like you, I feel like you had a different career first. Yeah. I did. No, I, I didn't. I just was like, oh, I'm moving to New York City with my friend. We moved into a, you know, first I moved into a place in Long Island and I lived in a closet that had been a, a washing room, like a washer dryer room. So like if I got up too quick, I would literally be bashing my skull on like a faucet that was directly over my head. And it only fit a single bed <laughs> and it had no heat, by the way. But I loved it. I didn't even care. Then I moved into the city with my friend who I met at that house with all of my crap in a um, a big garbage bag, like not kidding. Moved to 102nd Street between Broadway and West End. And I just got took the first job that was offered to me as, as a, a, a receptionist in a, a, the, <laughs> I was a company that made Missy Twill Bottoms in the garment center. Like literally no thought, made no sense. I took the first job that was offered to me because I was like, look, I got a job. And then, of course, you know, a month into it, I was like, well, I can't afford my rent with this job. What was I thinking? So I did. I stayed in the garment center for a couple of years, but I hated it. It was sexist and racist, and I just did not like it. That was my experience. And then I ended up just falling into a job in entertainment, believe it or not, where a friend of mine was working at a talent agency. And she was like, I think you would love it. I was like, okay. So she's like, I have someone going away for a week. She's marrying the tour manager for Sting. Do you want to come here for and try it out? I was like, oh, okay. So I filled in for this person for three days, called in sick to my other job. And I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Quit my other job. Maybe I gave them two weeks. Maybe not. I don't even know because I was young and dumb. And that was, that was my first job in the industry as a talent agent. Wait. And so, yeah, when you're filling in, was it like an assistant position or it was really like to go ahead and be an agent? You know, it was not an assistant's position, believe it or not. Um, but the assistant was basically, you know, telling me, helping me, because I had no idea. I was yeah. like, how am That's I? That's a pretty bananas yeah. offer to just be like, we think you'd be good for this. And then just like <laughs> fill in for the. <laughs> yeah. Want to try it? Okay. But I also was very good, always very good on my feet to be able to say, I'll find out for you. Like if I didn't know something, I, I could fake it until I was making it in some respects. But I also never felt like embarrassed to say, I'll check that out. I'll go back to you. You know, I always had enough sort of, I don't know, like people skills that it wasn't necessarily the other. I mean, I developed the other skills, of course, over the years, but I was so amped to learn. And I was so into being in this learning curve 
of being in the entertainment business. And it was really fun. I mean, I ended up, before I switched to becoming a psychotherapist, I was actually running the New York office of, um, it was really elite modeling agency. I was running the television department for them. So it was like doing, you know, negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities. That was the last job in the business that I had. And by that point, I was like, oh yeah, this place is a toxic dump and I need to get the hell out of it in respect to, you know, not a hotbed of mental health. And by that point now, almost 10 years into my sort of being a grown-up, I had done tons of work on myself, tons of therapy, but then tons of self-help. Once I got sober, I got really into the self-help movement, like bettering myself on my own and with the help of a skilled therapist. But it was like a full-time thing. Like I was really into, because I think it struck me, you know, Trish, so it blew my mind that it didn't matter what cards I'd been dealt in life, right? Good or bad, where people, we think it's like, well, this is like my lot in life, quote unquote. I realized through the therapeutic process and through reading these books, like The Road Less Traveled and those types of things, that was M. Scott Peck at the time, that was a very big book before the four agreements came out, that not only do, if I don't like this hand, can I get a new hand? I can literally make up a whole new game. Like I can forget the deck, forget what they're doing. And that was such a profoundly empowering realization, which is that it isn't like I missed the memo. It isn't like everyone else knows what the hell is going on and I'm the only one who doesn't. It's that I can decide to create the life that I want, regardless of what I learned, good or bad for my family of origin. If I want something different, I have the power to actually create that by getting healthy enough to do so. And that I just couldn't believe that everyone didn't know this and that I, I hadn't known that, you know? So that is what inspired also the switch from entertainment where, you know, there's just so long. I was like, there's gotta be something better I could be doing with my life than making supermodels richer. Please well, God. Yeah, like where, do you, could you remember like things that would shift within you from getting, being like excitement of, oh my God, I get to do this and this is so cool or what I'm exposed to and experiencing to then being like, oh, this is toxic. You know, because one hand, you're probably learning more about yeah, self-worth and all of these things that's making you see what even is toxic and how we approach <laughs> or how we are brainwashed to think about ourselves and each other and all of that, too. But yeah, like what sort of like, yeah, what what did you start to feel that made you start to think about maybe I don't want to be doing this anymore? Well, part of it is the observation of the treatment of the models. Like, so this was the, my my big sticking point, even in the beginning, where from the beginning, I was like in this office we do not refer to the models as girls because they're not girls, they're women. So let's just, like I was trying to make the, I was trying to change this very, very established industry. And when I was running the TV department on site in Soho for um, Ford Modeling Agency, when I, I left the business, I became a psychotherapist. Then you just, people just sucking you back in, like being like, hi, here's a ship full of money, want it? You're like, I do, because I was getting married. And when I was there, I kept going to, Katie Ford was running the Ford agency at that point. And I would go into her office and be like, hey, do you have a minute? I know every time she saw me, she'd be like, oh God, here she comes. And I'm like, hey, I'm a little concerned about the models department. And I'm a little concerned that this 15-year-old seems to be dating this 41-year-old photographer. And we're supposed to be taking care of the 
you know, her parents are in trouble, whatever. She was like, dude, at some point she's like, is this really what you want to be doing, Terry? I was like, yeah, probably not. I mean, I ended up leaving soon after that, but I wanted things to be better, healthier. But then I was like, but Tara, look at the nature of what you're actually doing. You're actually, this is all about what it looks like. You're, you're selling by being a part of this machine. You're sort of going along with the fact that everyone should weigh no pounds and you're part of a problem. And, you know, one of my nieces um, had a weight problem and that had a major impact for me where I was like, what am I telling her about her worth by being, by staying and sort of supporting this business. And I mean, I was ready to go anyway, but there was a couple of things that sort of came together at the same time that made me go, I just got to do something different with my life. And actually a very close friend of mine was like, Hey, do you want to apply to grad school and become therapist? I'm like, uh, I do actually. Is that really <laughs> so, how, about how it came up? Like they were like, you want to go to grad school with me? Yep. Cause we both were really into the self-help thing. She had been my assistant years previous. We're still best friends. This was 30 years ago. I swear to God. Um, and she was like, yeah, let's, and she's like, where do you want to apply? And then we looked at all the ones in New York and I'm like, hi, PS, I'm not going to Omaha. So it's got to be in New York. And, um, I was like, of all of these, the only one that I want to go to is NYU. She's like, okay, let's just apply to NYU. We applied to one school, both of us. And, I was like, well, if I don't get in, I'm not meant to be. But I'm, I'm not like, I don't want to do those other schools because the, what, what they were teaching was not what I wanted to learn. And uh, yeah, and I got in. And I was like, I got to go, I guess. You know what I mean? Trisha here bringing you a brief interruption. You may or may not know that I have a full line, decent sized line of products to empower you, inspire you, ground you, all sorts of different phrases from fuck your fears to I am magic, <laughs> all sorts of things for all types of people, keychains, mugs, journals, magnets. Yeah, you can get something for $5. Wine glasses, water bottles, insulated tumblers, those are limited, but I still have some in the shop. But especially, I'm so excited about this product I've been wanting to make for years. It's a daily intention, connection, and reflection journal. So it's a wire-bound journal, which is awesome for opening a flat. And um, you can open it fully. And on the right side of each page, it has these daily prompts. They're very simple to get you aligned with, what do I want? What am I believing about myself? What am I feeling? What can I acknowledge myself for, for today? What's a win? What's a joy? So these easy checkpoints. And then the left side of each page is just lined. So it's open for you to, you know, list out to-dos, wants, vent, do whatever doodling you need to do. There's two different cover options. It is truly awesome. I'm so excited about it. And I'm loving seeing all the reviews of people that are using it and loving it and how much this daily practice of just a couple minutes a day is shifting their day and their lives. All right, check it out, shop.yourjoyologist.com. So then grad school, is that, did you do it while you were still working in the industry and that's like night, you know, night and weekend things? Or did you like totally quit and do grad school? 
No, it was crazy. I mean, I, I ran the agency remotely for about a year and a half. So I was doing it all. I was going to full-time grad school, a 16-month program. So it's an accelerated program, actually. It was, I don't even know how I did any of it. And I was teaching at NYU. I was teaching acting. <laughs> exactly how, whatever. Don't even know, was never an actor, but was. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. Um, I don't even know how I got through that period, but I was so lit up about being in this incredibly fascinating learning curve that I didn't care. Like it came down to this, the the hesitation, it took me about three years to leave from when I knew I should leave to when I left, maybe a little bit more. And part of that debate in my mind was, can I be happy being broke? Because even though I had made a lot of money, I hadn't really saved a lot of money at that point in my life. I had traveled quite extensively. I didn't have pretty much any money saved. And I was like, well, I'm not sure how I'm going to do it. But I think if I just leap, a better net will appear. So I'm going to do it. I always had a lot of faith, like that things were going to work themselves out because I'm pretty resourceful and I didn't need much. I was like, will you being broke make you sad? And I was like, no, it will not. Okay. So can you be broke? If I'm, if I love what I'm doing, I'll be all right. I I don't need to, you know, so I was pretty broke (laughs) during grad school, but yeah, as long as you can pay your rent, I made exactly enough money by running the agency to pay for my therapy, my rent and my gym. And I was like, well, if you want to eat, I guess you're getting another job, which I did. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so when you even graduated, you didn't quit, right? It wasn't like, great, I'm certified to do this. I'm going to do that now. It was still at the agency. Like, no, no, no. Actually what happened is I, the day I passed the test, because you graduate and then I immediately took the test in New York um, so that I would be a certified, right? Licensed certified social worker, which is really a clinical psychotherapist. Um, And I'm not kidding. One day later, I put out my shingle. I was like, and open for business, how you doing? So I was already seeing clients. When I got sucked back in for that period of time right before I got married, I was doing that on top of my private practice, running drug treatment groups, teaching at NYU. I was doing all of these things simultaneously for a period of time, like six months, I think. Got it. And yeah, so then what made when you had the talk with the woman at Ford when she was basically like, do you really want to do this? Did that make you be like, finally, like, okay, I need to like close this door and lock it, <laughs> like throw it Yes. Away. Yes. It, in respect to being an agent, I did. Because what was happening is that I was naturally, my, my business was being fueled by people in the industry. So models, actors. I had at one point, I had like 42. Broadway actors in my practice at the same time. It was insane. Was that people that had you had somehow known through the agency? And then you're like, I'm a therapist. And like, and they're like, oh, it, it was a lot of it was actually how that really happened was that I had students because I was teaching at NYU Tisch School of the Arts, the business of the business, basically on camera technique and the business of the business, because from being a talent agent, I knew that. And one of my students was in Mama Mia, her senior year. And it was very stressful. So I was helping her kind of on the side, like how to manage stress, meditation, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly she started referring people from the cast to me. So then suddenly I'm like, wow, it got so 
complicated with having a lot of people in one cast and they're all young people. <laughs> Remember Mamma Mia? Everyone's like under the age of like 25. So there's so many showmances going on. There's so many, I mean, I literally had to like schedule people like these two can't be in the waiting room at the same time because they just broke up. Like it, it was very complicated, <laughs> but super fun. And it wasn't just them. It was also models. It was lighting people, sound people, directors. Like I had a whole array of people in the industry, which I was uniquely informed to help. You know, it was it was actually great. It kind of all just worked out. No, I yeah, I think that that's great. I mean, I'm not a licensed psychotherapist, obviously, but then yeah, when I sort of had my like wanting to do more and support people, and that my pedagogist position was created, then it, yeah, it was like going back to working with musicians who I had already been working with for a decade. Not, I mean, not the same one somewhere, but like yeah, like seeing like knowing what the reality really is, I think mm -hmm. is helpful and not like, oh, everything, you're great. You make a lot of money or you've got your dream job. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. Having any idea of what it's actually like, because from that point then I went into, of course, working with more, more highly visible people, but understanding that that level, a certain level of visibility in the world, a certain level of fame has so many psychological implications and that most people are like, oh, boo-hoo, yeah, I know it's hard to be a superstar, right? People, regular people have no idea if you've not had any exposure to this, how, what it's like to live in a fishbowl, what that's actually like in your life. And so again, because of having worked with such highly famous, you know, supermodels are very famous. And this was, keep in mind, in the 90s, when it was the height of the George Michael supermodel thing. And it was really fun. I have to say it was really fun until it wasn't. And then when it wasn't, I left. But um, people think it's super great. And if you, you know, because when you look behind the curtain, and not not that they're complaining, but you know that it it requires something so different and a skill set that nobody teaches you. Talk about needing to learn totally. boundaries. My God, how? No, totally. I, that's something I am still becoming more aware of. It was just sort of realizing like, oh, noticing when I started to, I didn't know what the term boundaries meant years ago, but years ago when like I sort of like started to set boundaries for myself. Again, I didn't know that that was the term, but doing these things. And then over the years, I've started to realize Oh, but everyone, not everyone, most people are terrible with boundaries, including like these high level people and stuff like that. So like now looking at different, you know, relationships or different people that I've known and things are just friends, like noticing that like everyone is terrible. And so I've started to notice how can I remind, you know, like I'm a naturally inquisitive person. So I'll ask questions to people and then I'll immediately be like, wait, you don't have to answer that. You don't need to tell me that. Like, that's something I'm trying to do to, like, help myself that I'll start to ask questions, oh, about a whatever. You know, like, I want as a friend, as someone who's been a coach and stuff, too, then it's, like, wanting to support people and help me, but then feel like, wait, they don't need to – that might actually not help them for me to – they don't need to tell they, another person about that issue or whatever and stuff like that. So I've been noticing in my own ways or just I'm always someone who's been, like, take care of yourself. And then people, like, say, yes, and people pleasers, and I'll be, like – I would love to see you. I still want to see you this week, you know, but please, I just want to make sure, like, do you actually feel great or do you need to tell you to yourself? Like, you know, it's like, I love when people cancel on me, even though like me one-on-one -on -one time is my most favorite thing ever. But I'm like so proud of people that I love for canceling me because they just need like time for themselves <laughs> or like, yeah. you know, <laughs> like a 
Yep, totally. I'm here to support you. You're like, look at you, you little boundary boss, right? You're like, right on, do it. I really wanted to hang out with you, but I'm really proud of you. Good job. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, people in the public eye, we're just people. They're I, we. They're just people. They're humans that have the same struggles and more. Usually, I feel like it's like even more. It's like yeah, you're putting them in a like boiling pot or something. That it's like the same, and that it's we have the same struggles of different. Everybody's different, but the same, and that yeah, there's no like skin. And imagine that every struggle that you've ever had is Amplified. being done in a glass house with every person being so psyched those people can't wait for you to make a mistake. They can't wait for that. Now that's not everyone, of course, but there's a lot of that out there. It's there's a yeah. lot. And there's also there's, manipulation oh my God, by like, yeah, the people that are supposed to look out for them or people that don't speak up for them because they're on the payroll or even the family, mm-hmm. they're afraid that they're going to somehow get kicked out of the life. Anyway, yeah. enough about that. So what made you, your focus be so much about boundaries and that, yeah, that you're the book. The last time actually we had like a conversation, we were both like, we're going to write, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I want to write a book next. So what made you want to focus on boundaries? Well, part of it, of course, was, you know, you teach what you most need to learn. So this was a massive struggle in my young life boundaries, knowing where do I end? Where does someone else begin? What is my responsibility? What is not my responsibility? I was very much of an overgiver, a people pleaser, overfunctioner, a fix-it person, always giving people my advice they didn't ask for. Um, And so that was one thing. But when I became a psychotherapist, this is when it really all sort of coalesced where you're like, oh my God, this is an epidemic where the women in my practice you know, very similar to me. So there's a very high functioning women in, in general, some, some, you know, men, um, mostly women though, where it looks like they're getting it all done in life, you know, they are, but at the expense of themselves. So whatever their presenting problem was, it might have been, you know, having struggle, struggling in a relationship, not getting paid what they're worth at their job, like they're someone else is getting, you know, they're doing more work and someone else is getting paid more than them, um, fighting with their family, fighting within themselves, whatever the thing is, I could literally connect the dots backwards all to this same place, which was this lack of a skill set, the lack of ability to know communicate and enforce, right? To know and communicate, right? Your preferences, your desires, your needs, your limits, and your deal breakers. Those are all of the things that uniquely make you, you, and they are what make up your boundaries. So boundaries, a lot people think it's all about saying no, pushing people away, and they're blocks to things. Not true at all. Boundaries actually are the authentic bridge to real intimacy, because you have got to communicate. And we want people to read our minds. So anyway, back to why did I do it? Because everyone had this problem. And I started making these little like handouts for my clients because I was so a little bit tired of saying the same thing. So I was <laughs> like, okay. Again. Oh. I was like, I created this strategy. So when you find yourself in this situation, ask yourself these three questions and blah, blah, blah. And then that really turned into, I mean, I've been in the trenches with clients almost 25 years. And so 
the need never got less. <laughs> and so I just was like, I need to write something so that this is accessible. Teaching it like what it is, which is that learning the language of boundaries is just like learning any other foreign language. You wouldn't expect yourself to know it if no one ever taught you it. It's not because you're weak. It's not because something's wrong with you. Because I find that my clients would do a lot of like self-shaming of like, how could I be in this situation again, you know? And I'm like, how about step-by-step, small step-by-step, always starting with you, right? It always starts with you. People, the fear and the myths around boundaries is that it's all outward facing. Like now I need to talk to these people and have these hard conversations and blah, blah, blah. Everything we do in the beginning of this process, and I walk you through it in the book, and I have exercises in the book. It's literally, you know, what what you have, what you need to do it is about you. So I teach a theory, you know, talk about whatever it is in my language, make it very accessible. But then every every part of the book has the thing called back to you. So then, you know, you, Trisha, you'd be looking at it being like, oh, okay. So how were boundaries related to in my family of origin, but the adult impactors in my life, how did they relate to boundaries? You start decoding because I'm guiding you through this process of being like, how did I end up with the, what I call all your downloaded boundary blueprint, which means it's a paradigm in your unconscious mind of the way that you learned, like, this is the way it is. This is the way it should be. If you're a good person, then you say yes when you want to say no. Because saying no is rude. Saying no means you're mean. So when we start uncovering, like imagine that you were walking down the steps of the basement, which is your unconscious mind. But don't worry, I have a little headlamp on. I'm holding your hand. We're going into the boxes, bringing stuff up into the light. Because this is where you go, oh, now I understand why I relate the way that I do in my love relationships, in my friendships, when it comes to money, why that's a difficult conversation, why um, I say yes when I want to say no, why I isolate, whatever these things are. These are all disordered boundaries that I'm describing. I can't wait to read it. I feel like boundaries are such like everything, Every from the moment you started talking about it and the whole time I just was like feeling so strongly like self-worth. It's like such a self-worth thing. And even like the smallest, yeah, it's like wanting to say, no, I don't like that restaurant or can we go somewhere else? Like that can be like such a struggle and it's so small, right? But it's really like, but it's, why but it's not struggle? though. It's a self-worth thing because I'm afraid they're not going to like me or they're yeah. going to think I'm you know, whatever, too picky or that I'm better than them or whatever, you know, by expressing that, like these like small things too. And I think that too, people will deflect like, oh, it's just a small thing. Then they act like it's wrong or shameful or it's not a big deal. But our lives are made up of all of these little like, (laughs) like that is life. That's a fact. In in the book, I give you a whole chapter of um, stem starters and scripts. So basically every situation you could find yourself in from wanting to tell someone that you don't like the restaurant to telling someone you will not have unprotected sex. And if they don't have a condom, you have one or whatever I put in the book, because what I find that most of my clients would be like, I was right there. I was totally going to do it. Like I had something to say and I was going to do it. And then I just couldn't find the words. So the reason I didn't just write a book on scripts, boundary scripts, which I could because people would buy it, is because if you don't do the steps beforehand, 
which is the excavating of what's in your unconscious mind, which is the getting committed to knowing yourself, right? And I walk you through a process and a bunch of inventories that you'll do and committing to falling madly and deeply in love with you, right? Self-celebration, it's, it's actually a real thing. And it's a shift because a lot of our disordered boundaries have to do with this. We are seeking for others to fill this space that literally only self-love can fill. So we set the people that up in our life to fail because they can't fill that place, even though we're like, we want them to, you know, this, this place is for you. So when you get to the point of knowing who you are in, in, a, in a deeper way, it's so much easier to just ask for what you want to, you know, the subtitle of the book is, it's called Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. So we're really learning. In this book, you are learning to talk true in your own style. So how you would do it, actually, we would probably do it very similarly, but other people <laughs> might not. We'd use humor sometimes, you know, a little bit of self-effacing something. That's my way. So I always include in the scripts, I always include, and if you like humor, here's a good one, because that's a good way to sort of break the ice sometimes is we do it, we can do it with neutrality as well. So if you're in a conversation with someone, if we want to talk about, let's say conversational boundaries, where someone is like, why don't you have kids? Why'd you get divorced? Where, where the guy you brought here last year? Where, where's he now? What, what happened with that? Like, how much money do you make now? Your mom told me you're doing great. Like, let's just think of a billion intrusive, inappropriate questions. And for the people who want to say, I don't mind. Well, then great. This is not for you. I mind. Mind your own damn business. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. No matter what advice you give out there in the world, people will be like, I, but they're just interested. I'm like, right. But do you want to give them that information? You don't have to be mean about it. We can be nice. We could be funny. We can be neutral. The real key is that if someone asks you why you don't eat wheat or why you're not never having kids, is it actually their right to know? And perhaps we should be a little discerning about who we give that info to, unless you don't mind. Maybe you like it and that's okay. Then you wouldn't, then you wouldn't need this tip, this strategy. But if you do mind that Aunt Betty is like, when's the last time you had sex or whatever someone is asking you, you can, you know, um, one of the things that you can do is in a very neutral way is say, why would you want to know that? Or why would you ask me that? So we're flipping this. This is a, a strategy that comes from Kasha Urbaniak, who is a paradynamic um, expert who I love. Her work is just fascinating and she's so smart. I love this piece though, and I always teach it. And of course I always credit her because I didn't make it up, but I use it all the time and it totally works where she talks about power. So when someone, let's say someone's hitting on you and you don't want, want them to, you're happily married and they're like, hey, you, their, their attention on you means they have the power. When you flip it back and say, so if someone is saying, you know, they ask you an intrusive question, when I flip it back, and say, why, why would you want to know that? I could say it very judgy or not. I could say it very neutral. 
I'm now putting the, I'm now back in the power position and they're in the sub position. By now, they need to say something, right? right? I'm not required to tell you why I'm not having kids or whatever the hell it is. Now, why would you ask me that? And what I found that, especially when I do it in a new, I, I mean, I, I hardly ever do it aggressively unless the person is being aggressive then maybe. But what I find is that that is like this wake-up call for people where they go, oh my God, like literally, I'm just curious. You're like, yeah, you know, it's not my problem, Betty. You're a morbid curiosity. It's not, not for me to entertain you with the details of my life. And the most important thing in that situation, boundary-wise, is not sharing information that you'll later regret. That's it. So we, what do our boundaries do? They protect us. It gives us the ability to protect ourselves and to open ourselves up mindfully, right? Willingly, that we want to do that. And they're two different things. And I think a lot of people think that boundaries are all about a big fat no, and they're really, really not at all. It, it just creates space for you to be more of your authentic self. Because in most relationships, if you're saying yes, when you want to say no, if you are confusing compliance with compatibility, then the people in your life don't really like intimately know you. And if they don't, how can anyone actually love you? if you're never really showing them who you are, if they don't really know you. Yeah. I have uh, some friends and like one in particular I've been friends with like since we were 18 and ever since I've met her and still she's people pleaser. Love her. I mean, she's an amazing, everyone love, 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 loves her, love her. But I've realized I have never really like as much as I love her and she's one of my best friends, I have like a trust issue with her that I don't know if I trust her because again, I know her to be a people pleaser. So then I'm again like, well, wait, do you actually want to help? Can I stay at your house while you're out of town? Like, is that the truth? Or are you just afraid to say no? Or are you just so used to saying yes and being helpful and showing up for everyone? You know, the most giving person does so much, goes out of her way. She's such an amazing human. But again, I also have seen like, migraines all the time getting sick you know like struggle like takes the most amazing care of herself except for the fact that she's always saying yes and putting herself out there and so that, right. yeah, like she, I, she's a people pleaser so that I like don't necessarily always trust and so then yeah like for people that I can you know that I've noticed are clearer and whatever have more boundaries and say that then like I it it, it creates a more true, real, alive, connected friendship. Because I know, you know, when a friend tells me again, like, of course, I want people to always be there for me. I want this. I love one-on-one time. But if a friend says, hey, I'm really not in the space to talk right now. I love you. I'll get back to you when I am. I fucking know when that person is fully available to show up for me then. And I like love, you know, again, like, of course, I would want to talk to them right now. I, but like, you know, like that sort of thing, those are just two like things that come up to me. Like, it makes me feel so much like, we're seeing each other, trusting each other, like being honest communication. Whereas this person I love so much, again, I'm still like, I don't know. Are you sure? Oh, it's it's such a good, such a good example though, Trisha, because, you know, you t- think about what Brene Brown talks about, like the, the most um, wholehearted people she talks about, like the most wholehearted, like having the best relationships type people are people who are the most boundaried because you never got to guess 
where you stand. Because when I have a friend, I have a friend, and actually, you know her too, Elizabeth D'Alto. And I actually put this little story in the book because I invited her to do something with me in Guatemala. Like I was going out of dance retreat with another friend, you probably know, Deb Kern. Anyway, um, and I was like, just said, hey, I'm doing this thing with Deb and you don't want to come. And then she said, very quickly, nah, I hate Guatemala. I hate hot weather like that, but I hope you have a great time. Or, But I love you or something like that. And I laughed, but with a friendship with someone like Elizabeth, I never, ever have to second guess. And when my, because I know she's a straight shooter. So she is trustworthy. People know that with me. I, if I can do it, I will do it. I will show up hundred percent. If I can't, I will say I can't. If I change my mind, I will also tell you that. I once had a friend say to me, you know, I know it took me a long time to do the thing. I, I wonder if you're mad at me. We were driving in the car together. And I was like, have you met me? You will never have to guess if I have an issue with you. And first of all, I'm not going to walk around mad at you, quote unquote. If I have something to talk to you about, I'll ask you if you have time and we will talk about it. Like, never do that. Never worry. Because I promise you, I'm not a silent sufferer. If there's a problem, I'm not going to imply it. I'm not going to give you the cold shoulder. I'm not going to ignore your call. I'm just going to tell you. And she was like, oh, yeah. I was like, were you mistaking me with someone else? And she's like, no, it's just me. I'm such a people pleaser. I was just projecting it onto you. <laughs> yeah. And it just feels like, yeah, what was the, the last line of the subtitle is like live free, right? Finally live free. Yeah, the, the last, last. It's um, the essential guide to talk true, be seen, and live free. Living free that it feels so, it's just like, yeah, if you're being honest with yourself, with other people, if they're able to be honest, there's so much not, like you're getting rid of all the bullshit that, yeah, your friend is all worried. Are you mad at me living with this energy? And you're like, no. And like the waste of energy that we are having by not just being honest with ourselves and other people. No, that doesn't work for me. No, I didn't enjoy that at a restaurant. Whatever the thing is. Yes, I love you, but I don't like, you know, like that was back in the day. I always loved music, got in the music business. And then I had all these friends that were musicians were constantly asking me to go shows and I no longer liked going to live music. And I felt like it was like, oh no. And then like, I'm breaking their hearts, but not going. And I just had to be like, I don't enjoy seeing concerts anymore. I'm going to come see before the show and I'm not going to see them. It was like such, it felt like such a big deal to make this choice and to tell people it's fine. And just still like, oh, but I feel bad because I love the person. I'm not going to be at their show. Tell them I love you so much. I don't enjoy live music anymore. <laughs> it, I'm allowed that. And they can like <laughs> You are. And here's the thing. you By saying that though, it is a big deal though. Because if you suffered through a lot of shows where you were really Resentful, like exhausted and didn't want to be yeah. doing it, Exactly. And then suddenly we're like, I can't believe how entitled Bob is to ask me to go to that friggin' show again. I've already been twice. Like, Bob, why is he like that? We instead of focusing on us, it's funny, Kate North about this funny, funny interaction with Kate. It was, I don't even know, 20, 15, 18 years ago in New York City. We were walking to something and someone had asked her to do something that she didn't want to do. And she was really upset. And it was someone she had done something for before. And she's like, I just don't even get why Betty is like that. Like, I don't even understand. It's so out of line. It's so off the hook. It's so this, it's so that. And I just said, yeah, Kate, she's got some nerve putting you in the position to have to say no. And she's like, oh my God, Terry, that's so messed up. You're so right. I could just say no. I was like, right. 
say no. And she reminded, she, I, I did an interview with her uh, um, a little while back and she reminded me of that on the live. She's like, do you remember? And I was like, I literally don't, but I love that story. So I will retell it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember. It's but. So true. but then also, yeah. And, what, and I realized too, it was like, if I go to the show and I'm like over it, then like the experience that they have of me, Trisha, as a friend at their show is that they see me probably in the back, like annoyed, <laughs> yawning. Like, <laughs> totally. you know, is that the person that I want them to experience? Or do I want them to experience me when I'm doing something, you know, I enjoy? So I can tell them, no, I don't want to do this. And then like when, you know, choosing. Yep. So that too, it's like, who <laughs> my being when I show up or like yeah. my friend again too. Right. And, and, <laughs> and for who, right? Like for who, like I'm showing up big grudging, probably like bitchy. And, and you're like, <laughs> totally. You're like, I don't even like their music. You're like, really? Or were you just in a foul mood? Cause you should have freaking said no. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to get to the questions that I ask everybody to wrap up first. I'm going to pull up an image of keychain or phrases that go on keychains in my product line, I ask everybody to pick not necessarily which phrase they like the most, but which one they feel they want as a reminder in their life right now and why. I'd be sending you the keychain, like which one you want to see and be like, yes, oh, right. Mm. Hold on. Oh, there's so many good ones. (laughs) I love it. Fuck the shoulds, do the wants. The only judge of me is me. I love that too. I trust the time in my life. But you know, I'm going to say, I think, so a reminder, because I'm really grateful. I was going to do so fucking grateful, but I am pretty fucking grateful, generally speaking. So I think um, mm-hmm. I am here now. Why are you feeling that one right now? Because being in a book launch um, and doing this for the last, you know, period of time and getting down to it, it's like, it's easy to be like, what is next and what is next? And although I meditate in a dedicated way, I the present moment consciousness, a reminder to slow down more often is always helpful for me. In my normal life, I've never, I've never launched a book before because this is my first book. Um, in my normal life, I feel like I'm 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 pretty present, but I've noticed that my old uh, workaholic tendencies have come back a lot during this book launch. I get it. I'm happy to send you that reminder. <laughs> uh, what is a well, go to to raise your joy levels when you may be not feeling the joy and you want to shift your energy? Um, I really love this mini trampoline workout that I do pretty much every day. I love it. I like jumping I've on a trampoline. Rebounder for over ten years. I used to bring one on tour with me. <laughs> Oh my God, I love it. It's the best exercise ever too. Uh, Okay, I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. So this may be like a habit way (laughs) of being. What is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. What is easiest for me is talking, right? What is best for me is talking and being prepared. I'm laughing because I totally understand too. Because I'll just be like, yeah, I just know it's fine. Like, I'll just say, you know, like, I'll convince myself that I don't. It'll be great. Because I know my, what you do. And I know you do too. But like, (laughs) and also. (laughs) Um, Yes. Okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel so often we are chasing things. Oh, once I do this, I'll feel enough. Once I have this relationship, whatever, be successful, worthy then. And I feel that we can claim those feelings for ourselves right now, every day. Sometimes we need to do it every moment of the day because 
you know, our brains are busy. So what are you claiming for mm. yourself right now? Um, I'm claiming. I'm claiming my ability to positively impact hundreds of millions of people around the world. Yes. I'm so excited for you. Oh, yeah. And I have a gift for your audience. This is so exciting. So first of all, you can pre-order the book at boundarybossbook.com. And if you do, I'm giving you a zillion beautiful, amazing bonuses. You get to come to our virtual celebration party at the end of the month. It's going to be so much fun. Um, the gift is going to be at boundaryboss.me forward slash claim it. And it is about boundaries and codependency. Because a lot of what we've talked about today in the show, what we we're describing is codependency. When you are overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the decisions of the people in your life to the point that it's sort of negatively impacting your peace. So there's a lot of overgiving, overfunctioning, overfeeling. So if you have any of those experiences, this is really going to help you um, see the distinctions and use boundaries to maybe stay on your own side of the street a teeny bit more. So to claim that, just go to boundaryboss.me forward slash claim it to buy the book. Go to boundarybossbook.com. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm so excited for you in this book, period. I'd be excited for any book you wrote because, you know, I love you so much and what you have to say. And the fact, like, you, you did it. We both did it. Your book is coming out. My book is due, well, first draft in a couple of weeks. But, like, that's also awesome. But um, this Yay. book in particular, Boundary Boss, because, yeah, I know that we all need it no matter how long you've been doing boundaries and applying them. Like me, like I said, even though I, like, recognized it, like, 10 years ago, it's still, like, I feel like it's just a constant thing. And even if you think you've, like, got it down, because just life happens. And even, like, you get a raise, you meet a new person. Like, you know, like, to me, it seems like when good stuff happens and also when shitty stuff happens, but oftentimes it's when good stuff happens, then we can start like the self-worth stuff like then comes up again, which then means the forgetting of the boundaries. Like, am I allowed to say this? Am I allowed to ask for this? Am I allowed to say no? You know? So I think it's a discipline. Like one and done. Yeah. You know, it's a discipline. <laughs> no, no. And there's also no one size fits all because we're all so incredibly different. So what is right for you, you know, Trisha, is, is and in this your boundaries. Life, too. What feels good to you exactly this stage of your life what what is right for me so there's no way to to teach this i've learned over two and a half decades there's no way to teach us like this is it this is this is exactly this is the only way it is but there are ways what i do teach is how you can figure out what are the right boundaries for you what boundary violations might be happening in your life right now? What is okay and not okay with you in your life right now? And that becomes the baseline for building this new um, boundary blueprint. Yep, I'm stoked to get it. And yeah, and that too, noticing like, as I just mentioned, like, it's not just like one and done and it's not like one time in your life. Yeah, things that I used to not be a worry and concern for me. Now it is like, no, I don't want to talk about those things. I don't want to answer those questions, you know, like things that used to not matter. And just, yeah, it's like we're always evolving. So you're going to need your boundary boss book on your bedside to be checking in with. <laughs> <laughs> you are. I, I love, love you. you. Thank you for having you're me. You're so welcome. 
All right. Again, if you have not yet, go to BoundaryBossBook.com or just type in Boundary Boss, pre-order or order it, no matter what date it is. Trust me, you want this book. You can find all things Terry at terrycole.com. That's Terry with two R's. She's at Terry Cole on social media. Of course, for all things me, I'm yourjoyologist.com. For full notes and links to things we mentioned, go to yourjoyologist.com slash podcast and you'll find all the episodes there. I'm at yourjoyologist everywhere and I truly do love hearing from you. So share the episode or just DM me. Let me know which episode you listened to, what you thought of it. Um, Yeah, it's great to know that people are listening and what they're getting out of it. (laughs) Even if you're just like, that was interesting. I liked that person. Thank you. So feel free to hit me up in the DMs at Your Joyologist. If you haven't yet, check out my daily inspiration app. It's called Own Your Awesome in the Google Google Play and Apple app stores. And check out my full line of products. Got all sorts of phrases to empower you and especially my daily connection journal. Go check everything out at yourjoyologist.com. Oh, final thought. I like giving you a final thought. I don't even know if anybody tunes in for this long. Do you? (laughs) Tell me, do you stay for this final thought or are you tuned out as soon as the conversation ends? If you're still here, thank you. And let's think of right now, since we were talking to Terry about boundaries, is there anywhere in your life that you just like know right away? Like, I know I want to set a boundary with this. I want to get better with this. Send you know, you know, maybe it's your bedtime and how you take care of yourself. Maybe it's, you know, people that you are often saying yes to. Where and who are those people? And that too, it could be just noticing where are these people that you like know that you struggle to set boundaries with or where it is. So it's not even like, I know I need this boundary, but like starting to just even notice where do you think you struggle with self-worth or around what people, around what? Because that could be where you do want to set boundaries. Because like I said in the episode, I think boundaries are a big self-worth thing. It can be a struggle to set them and uphold them. Um, when you're questioning your self-worth. Like I find myself struggling when it's someone who is like shinier than me, like they've done more to me that I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you want to be my friend. You want to hang out with me? And so I'll sort of just be like, whatever you want to those people when really like, well, that day is not ideal for me or that wouldn't work. So noticing like, where do you start to like lose your self-worth and lack boundaries? Could be around your family. I don't know. That's that's my final question thought for you. (laughs) All right. You're awesome. Claim your worth right now.